All right, you ready to do this? Yeah. Okay, I got an intro. Okay, sweet. Spoiler alert! Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. Great, it's good to see you. It has been a while. I know. How are you feeling? How's uh, how how's work going? Oh, work is so the same as always. It's so really? yeah. I mean, it's Becky and I were just talking about what. Uh, how the routine is really taxing this go round. Like the 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 every beat of every single day is exactly like yesterday from like timing your your English muffin with going to wake the cats up at, at breakfast time. Like it's it's every single day is like the day before it and it's it's starting to kind of mess with my mind a little bit. Like we haven't done a mm-hmm. podcast since it was uh official that the wedding wasn't gonna happen. And that right. now feels where that was only two weeks ago, that feels like it was two months ago. Yeah, I know, but uh, but case is going down. Yes, you know we're we're ticking away. Yeah, we're, we're like positive mood. Did you get your vaccine yet? No, because I am in the next age group. So my appointment. Did you get yours already? Yeah, must Last have been. Sunday. Holy fuck! How did you get it that fast? So uh, they opened up bookings, I think it was like on Tuesday. Um, And it was supposed to be that you could book for like the the first day was like May 30th. And we booked and then there was like multiple chat groups that we were both in that were like, hey, more appointments are opening up. Like, so you can like bump your last appointment and move up a week. And so we moved out and people had moved up like as many as like, 12 days we moved up just one week and and did it last sunday yeah i I think that you worked some magic there though like that that's unusually ahead of the curve because becky was really on it fast too and she's in the same age group as you and she's not until this coming sunday and i'm i I think i think the difference might have been that yeah that we 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 took the opportunity to bump up meaning like we canceled our last appointment and moved on up i should have messaged becky i just figured you guys would be on it Excuse me, we were extremely on it. We were like clicking refresh. Yeah, but you weren't on the follow-up is what I'm saying. Well, she's done her best. She really has. And, and of at, course. at this point, you're just splitting I, we, hairs, we were, right? We were in the lucky the lucky uh, remnant of people that were just in a chat group that was talking about it. Like literally, we were both on WhatsApp groups and right. we were both getting the info at the same time. Right. And so at this point, we're kind of just splitting hairs, so like all within like a couple of weeks. Mine's not for another week, a week today. Um, it's, it's so funny to me that I don't know where yours is, although I assume it's also in the spirit Halloween building over by the mall. We actually, we changed our appointment to be, uh, so originally that's where we were supposed to be. And then we moved Hilarious. to, it's funny cause they called it chapters. It was like, yeah, you're going to yeah. be at chapters and then it was like, no, this is spirit Halloween. Yeah. Uh, but we actually moved to be, uh, at the drive through one, oh, which nice. was insanely efficient. It was very cool. It was like a constructed little storage container uh that's like brand new you walk you drive through there's no other cars it was very cool any residual wooziness no not at all good good to hear the old the old um uh arm was a little sore for like 24 hours but jen jen like didn't have any soreness. I think my guy was just a little bit more nervous. Yeah. I think round two tends to be a little bit more brutal anyway. Like in a couple months when we go for round two, that that tends to be the one that kind of rings people's bell a little bit, but even yeah. still is what it is. Right. 
Totally. Yeah, yeah, we're doing better. Um, we're doing better in the province overall. Knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah. I think by I think July first we'll see some some cool uh relaxation. I thought of you the other day, uh, because I did something very exciting and very uncharacteristic. And okay. you and my friend Michael uh do this and and so that's what gave me the the confidence to to try it myself i changed my tires from winter to summer by myself nice man good for you right so i'm not automotively inclined at all right and yeah. it went i mean it took about two hours <laughs> but really the most of it was just the first wheel and trying to figure that out and the rest of it we, we kind of like worked in a pattern and and it went okay it was not at any point overwhelming <clears throat> no Totally. It's kind of nice. It's like a weird meditative thing to just like, all right, now we're over to back tire number two. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Plus, you just I, get... So did you use... You feel so masculine. Jack? Did your dad have that stuff? Or? No, the car had a car jack and like people say that your your car's uh, built-in jack is not good enough. I thought it was fine. Like yeah. I, you can kind of knock off... I think you can kind of like run the risk of like it popping off and then the car crashing down <laughs> that would be bad um that wasn't an issue no the what didn't work is the tire iron that comes with my car i don't know how anybody turns those things with that little toothbrush it's so we had to borrow we had to borrow like one of the big t-bars and now i want to be one of the one of the people who owns one of those because look i'm never going to have to pay for this again what you want to do is you want to get one of those big torque wrenches like one of the long ones so the leverage is super easy the pressure that you need and like automatically oh sorry i'm going to change headphones here and like automatically um goes into uh um like it automatically hits the pressure needed to yeah to this is going to be a your dad explains the thing next week i know it but <laughs> <laughs> he uh he just texted me and i can't see the message just now but surely he knows we're we're talking about this manly stuff yeah, absolutely. I'm becoming more and yeah. more self-sufficient. Now I also, I've just like saved up a list of exciting things to brag about to you. Um, Sweet. I also uh, fill my own ink cartridges now. Whoa. <laughs> I bought a kit because they don't do them at Costco anymore. And I can't, I just can't be one of those suckers who buys $60 ink cartridges for an $80 printer. And so I bought this kit where you use a syringe to fill your cartridges yourself. And see this piece of paper right here? Yeah. That's ink that your boy filled with the syringe. Oh man, goals. I, I'm proud <laughs> of you for having a printer. I bought this printer years ago and I forget why, but I, I, I guess I'm old fashioned in that way. I like to have the ability to print things off here and there. It's probably not a bad call. And, and even for like, if you can use it, does it work as a scanner too? It does, although your iPhone works as, as good of a yeah. scanner as anything now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. When, yeah there are things that that'd be nice to print out. Like I would like to even just print out my immunization record and go like, boom. Exactly. Yes. Well, but instead we're kind of at this point where we're like, Hey Jen, can you print it out when you're at work? I used to sell a lot of printers when I worked at Staples and it was you know a little problematic now, but it was like fairly common advice to just tell people like, look, I'm going to level with you. You could, you could buy, you know, these ink cartridges, because pretty often people would complain about the cost of the ink cartridges, and I can't blame them. You feel like you're getting suckered, right? Yeah. Uh, and I would say pretty often, like, look, I mean, you can buy those cartridges, or you can buy that printer that's on sale. Like, pretty often people are just buying new printers when their ink runs out, which is not good for the landfill, and that's what I mean by problematic. But, like, right. it, it's 
you get a little bit of ink that way. And yes, there's setup involved. It's kind of an extreme solution to a frustration, but you almost could get away with just replacing your, your, your ink bear printer with a whole new printer. I still wonder what the price of printers is like now. Like it's yeah. gotta be like, you gotta be able to pick up a printer for like 50 bucks now. Maybe, or maybe they cost more because they actually figured out how to make good printers. But I, I, I don't have a lot of faith in that because it seems like home printers have been a thing for the three decades I've been alive and never have they been very good. It's funny because there's like, I'm, I'm watching the NBA playoffs right now and Shaq has this commercial where he's in with like Epson, yeah, Epson uh, yeah. printers and they have like a whole new system of injecting. And wow, this podcast took a real turn. Anyway, it's just <laughs> funny that that we are still being advertised printers. Yes. Like it almost seems a little obsolete. Absolutely true. Anyway, all that to say, I don't have to pay to have my tires changed anymore. And I don't buy ink cartridges, so I'm rolling in the money. Dude, I like your your boat one year away from an oil change i'm about one year away from finally getting married hopefully knock on wood <laughs> be able to afford the thing from all the ink i saved i don't think we officially addressed that on the podcast no I, no we did i think we talked about it after the fact no it, that's true and when when i told you about it i was still in the throes of devastation's an extreme word but like like being so sad about it because it was just, it yeah. just feel, felt like so, it's, it's so self-absorbed to say that it was personal, but like it felt like this personal voodoo attack against our uh, wedding, which we've waited more than two years for. And it'd be three and a half years by the time we actually tie the knot. Well, the thing is it's, it's a personal goal for you, right? So right. like, it's going to feel personal. That's just inherently personal. Yes. And it's not like we have to wait another three or four months, right? It's Or even nine months, which is what we postponed it to last time. It's right. we kind of planned this thing and we got we got it in our heads that we wanted it to be a certain way as a one of the all-time great compromises was, was postponing our wedding the first time and ultimately designing a much cooler wedding that was a lot more us. And then we yeah. kind of fell in love with this hypothetical and we decided we didn't want to compromise any further, um, except for to, to wait again. And so pretty much a year to the date uh, uh, after our our third plan, we'll, we'll move on to our fourth plan. And that is what it is. Like not a whole lot's going to change in the meantime, but it, but it sucks because a year is a long time and we'll have other weddings to go to in the meantime. And, you know, oh, well, I, I, I go, I go in and out of it. Mostly I'm fine. But sometimes when I crawl into bed, it kind of hits me and I'm like, here's this shitty thing that that uh that kind of sucks that isn't your fault and you still have to, and then you know june 12th is going to roll around and god i hope we can like drive up the highway and stay in an airbnb or maybe go for muscles or something but it's definitely not a guarantee at this point yeah god that's a damn shame yeah but I'm sure you'll be able to just like drive out somewhere. I say just break the rules. Be like, listen, it was supposed to be our wedding day. We couldn't have a wedding day. Whoa. <laughs> You're not going to let us just drive 20 kilometers. Yeah. Do you think Bobby Strang would like that? I don't know what Bobby Strang would like. No, he's hard to read. That I'd like to, I, would, I would love to see if Bobby Strang has ever done something like that. He doesn't seem like a rule breaker. No, because we only see him giving press conferences. We don't know what the man's like behind closed doors. <laughs> <laughs> he wears some crazy shirts and ties. He's a wacky socks yes. guy. He's fun. What are you watching? What, what have you been uh, visiting or revisiting? 
So we finished uh, Formula One Drive to Survive. Vroom, vroom. Can we talk about um, modern, uh, uh, not modern, um, uh, Master of None? Is Master of None out yet? Did they put the new season out? Yeah, it was out on the 23rd. You're living in a different dimension than me, getting vaccinated a week ago. I didn't know the, the new show just kind of came out quietly, if that's true. Because, like, you'd think that the the subreddits would be talking about it and stuff. Man, I shall tell you that Disappointing. this Master of None is not the Master of None of old. It's just, yeah. and and they're, they're doing what they think is interesting. And I think it, I think to a certain extent, it is interesting and, and incredibly different. But it is slow mm. and kind of sad and just not the same vibes that you got from Master of None. Right. Where it was like, let's go eat tacos! <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it always had a sort of self-importance. It was always kind of, and in a way that I liked, but it was always kind of like trying to be comedy intellectual hundred percent but like jen, jen it was driving jen crazy i was trying to and i still will watch the whole season mm. but like like i don't need to see lena wait feed chickens outside for like 35 seconds as like oh. a shot of a tree up with like a setting sun yeah like frames the next scene and then it's like them like listening to a record on a couch for like 20 seconds and you're like, like, I don't, there's, there's a, a time and place for it for sure. But it's just when you have those kind of baked in expectations of what the show is going to be and the feeling that it's going to give you, and it doesn't really give you that feeling. You're right. left feeling like a little, a little empty. I don't remember a lot about season two, but, and maybe this wasn't season. No, I think it was season two. There was like a love interest for Aziz and she was from, Italy and then Italy. she she wound up back in his life back in New York and then my lasting memory of the season finale is they really force you to live for a long time in this closing shot of him in the back of the car by himself after having dropped her off and I guess that's supposed to be his like I don't know letting her go while he's still in love with her or something but like it's funny that you're describing these moments where they force you to at sometimes even uncomfortably so live in these moments for a really long time as if it's some kind of artistic decision and it sounds like you're not getting much from it i just think that yeah it's i would love to say that i took a lot away from the first two episodes but it just quickly like I don't know. You're you're kind of second guessing yourself while you're watching it. You're like, yeah. am I not getting it? Like, I it's hate that. just not quite. And it might be one of those things at the end of the year that like the number one show on everyone's list was Master of None. But I I don't think I'll be there. Right. Um, I, I I'll I'll stick through it because maybe there will be some uh, excellent ending. Or like it'll it'll pick up, or there will be some more Aziz. Aziz is in the first episode, but like he's not that happy. <laughs> and then you're like, oh right. my god, this is sad. Well, and is the whole reason for shifting focus to another character to get him out of an awkward situation where he kind of fell from grace there a few years ago? Or are we just ultimately drawing more attention to that now? 
I think it's that. And I think it's also like the tone of that character. And like I heard Alan Yang talk about it for a little bit. He's like, you know, you can only see a guy go out to a restaurant with all his friends for so long kind of thing. Like, you know, and it like gives you those good vibes. It's basically like, uh, like watching friends a little bit. For so you can only watch a guy go to a restaurant for so long. You know, we did it for 16 episodes. What more do you want from us? Right. I, I think they, they more were like, are we beating a dead horse kind of thing? No, they're not beating. That's so silly. Like that's, that's, that's a level of self-awareness. That's too much because like you built a foundation, which is an, an audience over a couple years. And it was a long time ago and many people wanted you back. And now you're like nervous that you're like not being, uh, you don't have enough integrity anymore because your audience recognizes what you, what they thought you were. It just seems well, like it seems know, like you're trying to be above your audience, and I don't, I don't appreciate it. That's true. I get that, but also, don't you see it from the side of like, you know, you listen to a Rolling Stones album, and you're not necessarily getting the same Rolling Stones album every time. No. You, know, you could get Exile, or you could. Oh. Anyways, the the differentiating but. The, the different sounds that you get on one, it's like th they might decide like, you know, if we're not growing here, then we're dying. So we got to like find some new sound. We got to try something new. Maybe something else was interesting them. And I think that's kind of the route that they were taking out. I don't think it was like. Yeah, I guess. I, I see what you mean. Yeah. I just think like if, if, that's, if that's your attitude about it, start a new show or at least call it a Denise spinoff and, and, give it a different name or something because all you're doing is sub subverting expectations to a point that it kind of alienates your built-in audience and you're right that like every rolling stones album comes from like a different creative juncture for the artists but like they're still the rolling stones right and totally yeah so i don't well, know. I mean to it to that to that end i mean it's still written i think by the same people but you're right i think you nailed it by saying it doesn't have to be master of none no i love a show that ended before it was too uh before it was too tired i i have never been like a they should make another freaks and geeks season kind of advocate stuff is good when it's brief it's kind of like calling um frazier cheers yeah yeah that's right like they didn't do that or joey friends right natural segue Speaking of, yes i i i have not watched that yet no, I tried to watch it uh, just before. Well, you know what the problem is? So I have I have a Crave subscription now because uh, okay. that's how we access HBO in Canada. And um, I it's very similar, I guess, to HBO having like four different versions of similar streaming services in, in the States where like you, there's a bunch of different HBO packages within Crave. And so it turns out I signed up for the wrong one and I don't have access to the Friends reunion, which is irritating to me because it's one of the reasons I signed up. So... Anyway, I'm going to find other ways to watch this thing, uh, perhaps later this evening, but I haven't seen anything yet. What are the reviews like on this so far? I don't know if there's any reviews because it just came out today. I think oh, It was just today. I thought it was yesterday. No, it came out today. I think just in the nick of time, they were able to convey to the masses, this is not like a scripted show to add to the friend's story uh, because they did like a lot of promotion for it. But... Similarly to, I guess, everything in popular culture, especially things that are dear to people, everybody makes up their mind before it actually happens. And so you see a clip at one point in the preview of James Corden 
uh, hosting like a Q&A with them. And everyone's like, it's ruined, not interested anymore. Why James Corden? Well, read the cliff notes because the director of the production is James Corden's production uh, partner. They are best friends and they made that Gavin and Stacey show together. So James Corden was going to be first in line to get brought in. And by the way, like all these other clips you see in the promotions uh, don't necessarily include a Q&A. There are like games. There's them hanging out in the totally rebuilt uh, Monica apartment, which is cool. There's going to be all kinds of retrospect. I think it's fine. Did we talk before about how I find it frustrating that everybody wants to comment on their ages? Like that's their first comment immediately? No. What, what do you mean? They're just like, they're saying they're they're old? Or yes. They're saying it's so for 17 years, you can look at the comment section of anything that featured any one of these six people and invariably you'll find comments about how they're not aging well. And what I, th I think they're forgetting is that they are aging. And so what does not aging well mean? I actually think most of them look pretty good. Matthew Perry has had some personal struggles and he doesn't always come off looking great. Although from what I've seen in this production, he seems fine. I just think that it, it's it's an unusual and wholly unrelatable complex that all six of these people must have. That They are forever frozen at 32 or whatever on a billion televisions. Forever. And so for 17 years and and counting... They can't leave the house without looking less good than their 32-year-old self who is more familiar to the vast majority of everyone around them. And that's that's kind of fucked up. It's incredibly fucked up. Because Lisa Kudrow looks incredible, but she doesn't look 32 anymore. And so she is always going to be subject to, gee, last time I saw Lisa Kudrow, she looked way better. She's going to be subject to so much. She's going to be subject to people yelling smelly cat at her yeah. while she's walking down the street. Like, it's a gift and a curse, the fact that they were on this show. I'm sure so. they're just as like, they must have days where they go, fuck this. Even though we all got Porsches or whatever, <laughs> uh, and a million dollars per episode, yep. like, kind of brutal. Famously, that iconic payday of a million dollars an episode. And I think they each got 2.5 to be in this special. That's only two and a half episodes of Friends. They could have kept that going and <laughs> yeah. that quicker. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so it's. I mean, your headphones are being weird. We lost you again. It's because my headphones keep. I realized right before this that they weren't completely uh, charged. Oh, okay. So, does this sound okay? Yeah, that sounds good. Right. I don't think that that it can ever possibly live up to expectations, and yet it might be very charming and lovely. But I do know that for the next few days, there's going to be a lot of memes and a lot of discussing it, and so already this podcast is a little out of date, but. Um, I'm going to go into it with an open mind because end of the day, I have spent countless hours being incredibly charmed by these people and I will continue to be now that I have a Crave subscription again. Nice. Um, one of the things that I've been uh, following intently and I found out about this today and it's absolutely insane to me. The PGA Tour. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, there's there's some some characters in there right now. There's actually a bit of a feud going on between this guy named Brooks Kepka and this guy named Bryson DeChambeau. Okay. Brooks Kepka is kind of a straight shooter, kind of like an everyman, calls it like it is. And Bryson DeChambeau is this like this guy who put on like a hundred pounds of weight to try to hit the ball further, and he's like a physics major, and he like wears metal spikes because it's advantageous and 
he's very analytical about everything he does and all of his putts and he takes a long time and he drives other people crazy. Now, Brooks Kepka is super vocal about this. Okay. Um, and, and he was giving Brooks Kepka came second in the PGA championship to Phil Mickelson, who ended up winning the entire PGA championship. Oldest player to ever do it. Very right. amazing story there. Yeah. But he's Brooks Kepka is, is giving this interview after the tournament. Wait, wait. And Bryce, let me let me see if I have this straight. Straight shooter, uh, no nonsense guy is criticizing guy who's very analytical and wears cleats. That's right. Gotcha. But he doesn't. So he's done this in the past. He's kind of said like, I, this is, he's a pain in the ass or whatever. But he's giving this interview and Bryson DeChambeau walks behind him. Ooh. And, and like, he's like clunking in his metal cleats. And Bryson DeChambeau or um, Brooks Kepka literally shuts his eyes, rolls his eyes like back into his head and goes oh, no. like, I can't deal. Sorry. I lost my train of thought. I can't fucking deal with this guy's bullshit (gasps) and like so so he's still walking by and he's like honestly like i'm sorry but and and the interviewer's like i'm telling you like they're gonna love this in the in the control room at the station like they're gonna and he's like honestly if this gets released i don't even care um (laughs) and everyone's loving it there's like a million memes about it in sports world instagram was filled there's a like a, a real appetite for golf memes and it's kind of hilarious. And even like Bryson DeChambeau got in on it and like posted a picture of Bryson of uh, Brooks Kepka rolling his eyes with like a, a Photoshop picture of him like on his head with the song Rent playing by a big Fredia. And it's like, <laughs> I don't gotta pay no rent or whatever, because he's living in his head rent. Right. That's kind of the vibe. And so today I find out that there's a PGA impact player impact fund. Okay. And I'm like, Oh, that's like, is this like a charity thing? No, the PGA player impact fund was created two weeks ago as a means to spread the, spread the joy of the game or like bring more attention to the game. The player who has the most like follows and has clearly like embraced or has clearly like, um, uh, I want to say like grown their social account or like gained the most social following at the end of the year wins like $40 million. Ew, that's disgusting, by the way. Isn't that so yeah. <laughs> greedy and yeah. gross? That's horrible. That's not that's not about the love of the game at all. That's about it's, politics it's and so, marketing. So it's literally the rich getting rich because it's only the biggest players that are going to become like meme lords in the sport. So, and- so wait a second. Is it possible? Maybe I'm getting ahead of you. Is it possible that this feud is all contrived to to create a campaign for this kind of enthusiasm. That's that's exactly what people are starting to say Ah, now, because it was just two weeks ago that this player impact fund began. And all of a sudden, you know, there's like this like really cool, like public feud that's happening between two golfers and everyone just wants to see these two golfers, like have their own match kind of thing. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is, is matched up against or with, Bryson DeChambeau for this like charity tournament and Brooks Kepka tweeted at him like sorry man <laughs> and 
<laughs> that is greasy. Yeah. Although, you know what? I would definitely roll my eyes at you on camera for $40 million. 100%. But they're, the fact that they're professional athletes already, too. Yeah. So I hope that it's a genuine feud. That, I guess that's that's what I take away from it. The, the thing that I wanted to say was just the fact that this player impact fund exists. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> like it totally, it didn't even need to, I don't no. think. It's just like, hey, how can we be the NBA? That's probably true. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of that. And also the friggin' Paul boys bringing all this attention to, to fighting. Uh, all of a sudden there's like all these new audiences and there's all of this interest in celebrifying your athletes again in such a way that they haven't been so much lately. And maybe there's COVID impact on that as well. We're trying to drum up interest in people watching sports. Exactly. So we're turning it into the Kardashians. That's a little bit right. Like, yeah, exactly. It's so strange. It's tawdry though. It's upsetting. It's bad. You want something yeah. kind of wholesome? You mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Did you know that he is currently on vacation with his wife, Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller, Miles Teller and his wife, the four of them are at some dumb resort and there are TikTok videos of them just like drinking wine in the frigging buffet of the resort and Aaron Rodgers is playing fucking wagon wheel on an acoustic guitar and the other three are hammered drunk singing to wagon wheel it is the funniest, whitest, lamest thing I've ever seen and I've, oh my I have never in my life related so clearly to an NFL quarterback. <laughs> I, I have not seen this yet. I'm excited to. I saw a picture of all of them like around like a waterfall or something. And I was like, just thinking about how weird that was. What a weird world. Yeah, well, Woodley and, and Teller made the spectacular now together. So maybe they're buds, but that they did this like couples vacation and they're just being, I mean, I'm, I'm commenting on them like they're being lame. They are, but they're really being very relatable. And so it's actually quite charming. Yeah, I can see Teller and Rogers getting along with each other. Totally. Both kind of like admiring each other. Well, I think Miles Teller is like famously a big fantasy football guy. Okay. So he is like no doubt like a big fan of A-Rod. I don't know what to think about that guy because for a little while it looked like Miles Teller was going to get to have the career that Shia LaBeouf was going to throw away. And now it kind of looks like Miles Teller is also not getting to have that career. He had such a moment and there's a, like a little bit of stink on him. Like maybe he's not easy to work with. But also I think maybe the main source of that comes from Jonah Hill a little bit when they did yeah. War Dogs together. And really is Jonah Hill a credible source for who's easy to work with? I have no idea. Uh, mm. But like Miles Teller was on a trajectory and he's a really good actor, but we haven't seen him do like a really good thing in a while. No, it's true. Yeah, like he he was like on Michael G. Michael G. Borden pace, <laughs> Michael B. Jordan pace. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, they did the Fantastic Four, uh, Fan Fortastic together, and also that awkward moment they were in that with Efron. Yeah, which I think I saw, and I don't remember hating it. Underrated rom com. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. let me walk you through a couple of things that I've watched because I've watched some new things and some. Uh, rewatches i rewatched the secret life of walter mitty the ben stiller movie from like eight years ago yeah i remember it that movie is a lot better than i remembered it's actually awesome it's beautifully shot um and i don't know i just i just found it incredibly moving i don't have a whole lot to say about it but i do recommend it's on disney plus star watch secret life of walter mitty he is fabulous in it and i felt good about life in general after having watched it nice uh i watched bottle rocket for the first time 
So Oh, I like that movie. I've yeah. seen every other Wes Anderson movie and I just never I always wanted to see Bottle Rocket. I I hadn't gotten around to it. And now all of his movies are on Disney Plus Star. And so I watched Bottle Rocket. Uh it was interesting because I'm so familiar with what he is stylistically and it's not that. Not at all. No. It's like it's like a movie that I would make, I think. <laughs> sure, yeah. It's definitely like low budge. Yeah. Um and it's kind of good and kind of quirky. Yeah, I mean, it's very quirky. Um, and I guess you can see, especially if you if you know that Rushmore is the exact middle point between Bottle Rocket and Tenenbaums. Like, I can see how... Uh, I can see the, the Pokemon evolution between those three films. Yeah. But it is quite a stark contrast. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um... I, I, I watched probably like 12 years ago. Hmm. I think I've seen every Wes Anderson movie at this point. You, yeah. you know them off the top of your head, right? Can we run through them? Okay, I'm going to see if I can do it in order. Yeah. Uh, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say next is The Life Aquatic of Steve Zazu. Yes? Or is it yeah, I think Darjeeling so. Limited? It's it, the, If not, it's... it's, it's ZZ's first. Okay, then Darjeeling Limited. Then... Uh, Got to be Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think it's Grand Budapest Hotel. No, no, no. No? No. Okay. Because uh, Moonrise Kingdom is also before Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, okay. So those two before. Yeah, I think Fox, Moonrise, Grand Budapest, Isle of Dogs. Did we do Darjeeling Dar Limited? Yes, that one's after Life Aquatic. Okay. And then okay. French Dispatch, which is premiering at Cannes, finally. Right, and then what was Secret Life of Dogs was the other one you mentioned. I didn't see I, I, lo I love dogs. Um, I love dogs. It's, it's kind of, I mean, it's a technically impressive, but it's not like a story that, that stays with you or moves you. It's interesting right. that he's he's done a Roald Dahl adaptation because it is my understanding that Roald Dahl heavily influenced his like heightened sense of reality that exists now in all of his movies. Like all of these, uh, with, I guess, Bottle Rock, Bottle Rocket as an exception, all of these movies kind of exist in a world where people dress funny and talk funny and everyone just finds it normal. And that I guess yeah. is is kind of based on how Roald Dahl uh, stories are sort of like that, sort of fantastical. Yeah, definitely. So overall, where do you think it falls on the on the Pantheon for you? It's hard for me to compare it to the others. I love I love Grand Budapest Hotel and Royal Tenenbaums. They're my two they're my two favorites for sure. Yeah, I like Rushmore a lot because I I like anything involving a moody high schooler. Yeah, um, I think Tannenbaum is my favorite. Oh, and Moonrise Kingdom is so sweet. Oh, it's hard. Moonrise I, Kingdom. I like all these movies, man. I like them yeah. all. <laughs> you're big. You're big. Uh, w A head. Yes, I think I am. I think I am too. I watched the Mitchells versus the Machines. Okay, how is what is that? It's, it's a show on Netflix, movie on Netflix. Yeah, it's the most streamed thing on Netflix this year now. Um, and it's it's comes from the Lord and Miller sphere. They're not like the creators or the directors, but they produced it. And so it kind of has visually, uh, in terms of like animation, it kind of has an Into the Spider-Verse quality to it. There's like a merge between the three-dimensionality of today's cartoons and the flatness of older cartoons and just like all these visual jokes in it constantly very sweet story about like uh technology and how it's uh a slippery slope 
not like the end of times. It is a movie about an apocalypse, but like it's actually kind of a movie that celebrates technology while also be caution- being cautionary about it. And then ultimately it's a story about a-, a girl not feeling like she fits in with her family and she has to go on this like trip with them. It's really funny and we had a lovely time. But that's not a new take anymore. A lot of people have watched this movie again and again with their kids. It seems kind of like um, uh, Wally-esque. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of true. I mean, it's it's less allegorical than than Wally. Frankly, it's like huggier than that. I listened to a really okay. interesting uh, Ringer podcast about animation today, and one of the guys made such an astute uh, comment about how animation has changed in terms of who they cast in these roles. Like Maya Rudolph plays the mom, and like the mom is not that central to this movie any more than like many people are, but like. Maya Rudolph would play a good mom in an animated family movie. Um, And this guy was talking about how like back in the day they would make these animated movies like Aladdin, for example, and everybody in it would be like straight as an arrow, but then they'd throw in a Robin Williams to like kick it into overdrive or they make Mulan uh, and they'd throw in an Eddie Murphy and kick it into overdrive. And then something happened along the way where everybody in these movies had to be Robin Williams. And so like everything, everyone in these movies like screams and has a big mouth and is loud and it's not necessarily worse, but it's like, it's kind of gotten so that these animated movies are just big, like melting pots of chaos. And, and maybe that stimulates our TikTok brains or, or maybe it's just what they found like algorithmically kids like, and we'll put on again and again. You could say Toy Story was maybe one of the first movies to do that right they all had like big actors behind it that were big personalities i don't think it's just about big actors though because you're right but it it, it's not just about that it's about the energy that exists in those actors like tom hanks like like wally sean yes doing the dinosaur right like right big choices a lot of big choices. right but woody is the everyman right he's not i guess he screams a lot but like he screams a lot yeah did you see that i rigged a woody doll to say curse words no yeah so you know i've got this woody over here right yeah so uh i've had him since i was a kid um and he's like from like 1995 when the first toy story came out so he's exactly like andy's woody um and he has the pull cord in the back and he used to say like you're my favorite deputy there's a snake in my boot someone's poisoned the water hole and that doesn't work anymore and i tried uh replacing the battery and uh that didn't do the trick and so what i did was i ordered a new voice box on amazon and i had the intent of just like because you can fill it with whatever you want and so i had the intent of like getting the audio of those classic woody sayings and uploading it and then stitching the voice box back inside Woody. I did all that. That's true, but I couldn't help myself. And so I clipped in this, uh, I put a bunch of like Woody, like I got mostly like Woody screaming, like you are a toy or a child's play thing. Like all, I got mostly hostile Woody, but I also threw in a clip from a movie called Nothing in Common, which Tom Hanks made in the eighties with Jackie Gleason. So at the end of it all, Woody screams and don't you ever fucking touch me again. (laughs) And so my Woody doll says that now. I, I, you threw me for a loop because I was thinking it was going to be you saying these things. And I think it is way funnier that it's actually still Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. Saying all of the, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I made, a, it. I made a TikTok about it. I'll send it to you. I watched um, Woody in the, uh, Woody in the, no, Jesus. Lady in the Window, Woman in the Window. That, like, it's a Netflix show. It's basically, it's what it is, is it's Rear Window. 
starring Amy Adams. Oh yeah. Yeah. This came and went as an agoraphobic lady. Right. Yes. I think it was like a popular novel. It might've been from the same person who did gone girl. Gone girl. Yeah. Or yeah. I, I heard another podcast about how it, it's clearly of the gone girl ilk, the trade paperback, uh, girl, yeah. on, girl on a train kind of milieu. I didn't hate it. Yeah. I mean, like it, you, I started trying to come up with, with my own theories through it. I, I did it didn't lose my attention. It was like a decent fun walk. But why make rear window again when Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf and Rihanna exists? No, I Rihanna know. had the song. Who was the girl in, in Disturbia? Doesn't matter. But there, but there was some fun twists to the movie too. Right. It's on Which Netflix. It didn't I, like it went, went nowhere. Nobody else is talking. No other podcast is talking about this movie. Just me. Yeah, that's okay. That's why. That's why I like you. I don't. I don't think I've watched that much else. Um, I watched the first two Jurassic Park movies. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. I had never seen a Jurassic Park movie, and they were like kind of the like Spielberg uh, uh, franchise that for some reason. Well, no, I know exactly why, and we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast. I'm afraid of blood, and I think I was led to believe that I I had too weak a stomach as a child to see these things, and I was probably right, by the way. Like I can handle them now, but definitely as a kid. Uh, but there's like not that much blood. Not not blood, but like the idea of you seeing the legs of a person like sticking right. out of the T-Rex's mouth and like he's chomping down. Like that that all is just very traumatic and gruesome. And by the way, that happens most traumatically in The Lost World when Richard Schiff, who I know best as Toby from the West Wing, plays a friggin' hero and then gets pulled in half by two T-Rexes. And so that was disappointing yeah. for me to see. What is the you rub? Know what? Go ahead. I was just gonna say there there's a world where it's Jurassic Park, but like um hardcore R rated, like yeah. maybe eight, eighteen, where well, people are getting chopped in half and, and there's blood flying everywhere and you see guts and stuff. Did you know that Michael Crichton originally wrote Jurassic Park for kids? Like he was writing like young adult fiction and Basically, he showed it to his friends, and they're like, "I don't care. I don't. I don't. I don't want to read this." And so he right. he wrote it into like an adult procedural, like, like kind of like a John Grisham style thriller. And obviously, it was like one of the biggest literary successes of a generation. Um, and then, but I some, think it was maybe because it was like young adult fiction, because I remember maybe. like kids and like. I mean, I was in elementary school, but I remember it being at like my babysitter's house and. She had like a kid in like junior high and high school at the time. Right. It is. You're right. I it's, remember seeing it. It's like an iconic like book cover because that was the movie poster too. Well, and the movies are family oriented ish in that they have kids in them. Like they're, they're, there's always like a token child in them. But to your point, it seems to me that for Spielberg anyway, Jurassic Park is a really natural progression from Jaws because these are just monster movies about suspense and like being against the elements and like man versus beast um yeah. what is what is the general consensus about the second one about the lost world i know that i saw it for i think it was my 10th birthday okay maybe even earlier it might have been like eight or nine i think it's, i think it's 97 okay so it would have been my eighth birthday yeah um july 10th 1997 um and 
I, I don't think it was as much of a critical success as the first one. How did you feel about it? I'll tell I you what, forget. I'll tell you what, it's not very good. It no. like the, the first one is also, I think a very specific thing because it has some heart in that there's this growth for Sam Neill's character where he like doesn't like kids, but then he very quickly like falls in love with these kids and that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but I didn't find the first movie was even all that well resolved. Uh, yeah. And then the second movie, even less so. And the only character who stuck around is uh, Jeff Goldblum. There's like a, yeah, there's like a, a quick Richard Attenborough. Is that his name? Uh, he's got a cameo at like the beginning and the end, but there's no Sam Neill. There's no Laura Dern. They've bring in, they bring in a new kid who's Jeff Goldblum's daughter. And she has exactly no impact on the movie at all. Uh, yeah. They, they kill off Toby Ziegler. They have Julianne uh, Moore, who's Julianne Moore? Yeah, who's like not recognizable and also is a damsel. And Vince Vaughn, which kind of threw me. He was actually kind of yeah. kind of charming in it. Um, yeah, but there's I don't care about anybody in this movie. And then like they end up back in the city, and there's this one point where like the it's it's really quite a reach that the T Rex was able to like walk through the suburbs. Honestly, it's quite silly how that happens. And then like there's a guy running into a blockbuster, and the T Rex just like kills him. And I kind of thought that was that was like not the point of the movie. Like he wasn't like Richard Attenborough survives these movies, and that's fucking insane to me. Like he should <laughs> he should pay for his sins by by you know what I'm talking about. I, I, well, I kind of do. I love that you're talking to me about this movie. Like I am like a champion of Jurassic Park. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I, I truly do not remember the Lost World that well. I, I actually remember the third one a lot better. The third one is a good watch, and it's basically like a continuation of the first. I would okay. Say it goes like one, three, two. Well, where do the the Chris Pratt ones factor into that? Because, like, I gotta say, I've invested enough time that I'd kind of like to see Jurassic World now. But Jurassic World's good. Yeah, it, it's it's like the exact same thing as yeah. as one. It's like the same thing, except they go like, "Happy, we got all this under control, right? right, right. Now we're like all good, and then basically the same thing." Because happens. my outsider's perspective was. Look, this series clearly set a good foundation with more than just one good movie. Like, I figured for sure, without knowing anything, the first one's great, and the second one's got to be pretty great, too. And then I think I always heard that the third one's not good. You're the first person to tell me otherwise. And so now I'm kind of interested again, because I know Sam Neill is back. Uh, I think the third one's better than the first, than the uh, okay. second one. That's not, what, sure. that's not what Rotten Tomatoes says, although it's kind of neck oh. and neck. So... Interesting. Maybe I owe I three a watch. Too. I haven't, I haven't done a rewatch in a while, but in junior high, I think I watched the third one. For some reason, someone bought, someone in my house bought the third draft. Yeah. Car. I think I put, because we had a, a DVD player and a new big screen TV, I think I put a few watches on that disc. I tell you what I don't understand is how these movies are some people's Star Wars. Like there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, the, the way I like Back to the Future, they're like, they could just toss on Jurassic Park because it's comforting to them. And like, I don't, I don't, maybe it's just, I didn't see it at the right time, but like, I don't really get no. what's, what's that um, uh, comforting about it, cozy about it. I, I think a general rule is when you meet someone 
who says that Jurassic Park is one of their favorite trilogies. You run the other way. <laughs> Huge red flag. Yeah, it's just <laughs> they're not a normal person. They haven't seen that many other movies. For that to be their favorite trilogy, maybe they've only seen three movies of their life. I'm right though, right? Like there are people who like yes. that those they the same way a lot of people love Star Wars, they love Jurassic Park. I couldn't help but yeah. think, and I'm sorry to bring it back to this, but I couldn't help but think while I'm watching The Lost World, which is a Spielberg movie, what would Dawson Leary think about this movie? Because like in early episodes of that show, this is the most recent Spielberg movie. And so and does he talk about it at all? I don't think they ever talk about Jurassic Park. They mostly just talk about E.T. I think that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> it doesn't, but okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Should have rewatched that instead. Okay, we got a bunch of things I want to I want to race through. We don't have to say a lot about this, but Kelly Clarkson is going to take over Ellen's time slot on NBC. That yeah. that sounds like a bigger deal than it is. They're they're trying to spin that like, look who's taking over the Tonight Show. It's not that Ellen is syndicated to basically every daytime network, and Kelly's just going to be there on the NBC. It's still going to be Kelly's show. It's not going to be like a blue set with tan features, except Kelly Clarkson's there dancing. It's not that. Right. Yeah, it's not going to be the Kelly. It's not going to be Kelly. Right? Is that or is that what her show's called anyway? Kellen, the Kellen DeGeneres show. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly the Generous. Uh, well, she is. I think. I think she seems nice. I like Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. I wanted to ask you: Did you listen to Adam Duritz on Bill Simmons yesterday? Man, I did, and that guy has some stories. He does. He does. He, he has some stories, and I know that you're probably going to say that he's got like a a very like probably inflated ego too because i think he does and oh sure some, like, yeah a little like, bit he's like a little full of shit but i couldn't really believe what i got out of that by the end of it i was like whoa like yo, like the stories. yes the mrs potter's lullaby story was awesome that was and, and yeah exactly and i and, and to hear bill simmons go like get the fuck out yeah like, that's, <laughs> he, that, he doesn't react that way a lot but um but I'm not a huge Counting Crows fan. I so. am. I love Counting Crows. Really? But I've always known him to be a bit of a dickhead. And like I saw yeah. Counting Crows a couple years ago and I was supremely disappointed. It was a combination of things. And he talked about this in the interview about how like yeah. he, he pisses off fans by not playing the hits. Uh, totally. That was true. And also I was positioned in the arena in such a way that was not acoustically uh, uh, ideal. Anyway. Um, I, I'll never forget, I saw him on Seth Meyers a number of years ago, and Seth was still new at his show at the time, but like there was enough preamble leading up to to Adam Duritz coming out that like you could you could tell very clearly Seth Meyers is a gigantic Counting Crows fan. Like it was very clear oh, wow. that Seth was so psyched about this. And it was one of the rudest interviews I've ever seen. It was just like it you could see Seth's spirit get crushed in like real time and I'll never forget that. And that's what I find really interesting about his demeanor on Simmons where he was like and even Bill Simmons said that at one point he's like you're unusually gregarious right now and he's like yeah my girlfriend's great or something. But like he's not known for being friendly at all except he was a talking no. machine on this podcast. He he was given a lot of, like he was throwing a ton out there and I didn't know if it was because I thought it was because he knew like Bill Simmons did a, did a really good job in that interview. I I feel like it underplayed how good of an interviewer that Bill Simmons can be because he was hanging on to stuff 
to let him talk that he didn't bring up till the end, but like while still letting him know that he was a huge fan. Yes. But like didn't talk about how, you know, my daughter, like, you know, the road trips with my daughter. And then I played the album and like, well, it's the perfect amount of that. Led with like, I just played, played the album. Like, yeah. For my daughter and she freaked out. So let's have a conversation now. He asked exactly but, the right questions to appease me. Like I, I was so excited when he said, who's Maria? I was like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking. I've always wondered that. My favorite yeah. Counting Crows uh, story is, it's not really a story. It's just uh, like, obviously their first album is the album that kind of positions him to be some sort of weird, like uh, tabloid Hollywood version of Bob Dylan in the nineties, like uh, instantaneously made him incredibly famous overnight in like 1994 or whatever. And this album comes out and it's called August and everything after and nowhere on the album is the, uh, the song August and every and everything after, except people know it exists because the lyrics are vaguely written on the album cover. So it's that yellow album cover with black text and it's on like okay. note paper and you can see yeah. scribbles of lyrics behind. And some of the words are August and everything after. And so fans know for years that this is a song but they don't, they haven't heard the song. And like a lot of Counting Crows songs, it's an eight minute song. And so there's actually a very clean recording of it uh, being done live where it's like a two minute interlude and the audience is just listening intently because they don't know what it is. And there's these incredible lyrics. And when he gets to the lyric and August and everything after, the audience just goes freaking insane because they didn't even know that this was what they were waiting for. It's a really cool right. moment that you can kind of like experience for yourself. And the song is quite good. Nice. And he told a couple of those stories of like songs that don't really exist. Yeah. And like the one at the end of rounders and how he tweeted out. Oh like, yeah. Hey, I, I need a <laughs> version of this song like that. I can't find. What did Bill mean when he said my fingers don't work anymore? He kind of hinted that he's like retired as a writer. Yeah, he doesn't write anymore. Like famously, he's like, he's like, he jokes about being a writer a lot because he'll be on podcasts with other sports reporters and yeah. and be like, I mean, you know, I'm a writer. And then they'll both laugh because he's like, I haven't put an article out in like three years. He's like just into like digital media. But specifically point. the phrase, my fingers don't work anymore sounds sad and insecure it sounds like very, it sounds like it's not just this funny thing he ha he happily retired no. from it sounds like he's sad that he lost some kind of creative capability he went through some sort no, of trans he, transition he didn't at all he, he he's just i think he's like too lazy to do it yeah he, okay. he's he's really just keying in on the podcast stuff like yeah and he's and good he at the, the book of basketball podcast and right. then he said he'd never write another book again so he's like I think he realizes that the ROI on on actual blogs is way lower than yeah. if he writes something. Because he'll do like 15 minutes at the beginning of a podcast about why Steph Curry is in the pantheon of, of the best 25 players ever. And that's clearly like he could release that as a blog post, but he's just like, I'm too lazy to publish this. I'm just going to say it. I wonder what part of his demographic I would fall into or if I'm an absolute anomaly. I'm probably not, but like I adore Bill Simmons as like a media commentator and a pop culture person, but I just yeah. don't care about any sports. And so I have to be so selective with the Bill Simmons content that I consume. And how would you say that you found him in the first place? I'm curious about that. 
Uh, I think I might have seen. I think it was a YouTube thing. I think I probably saw okay. him interview. I couldn't tell you who, but it was probably somebody good. It was probably somebody I liked, somebody high profile. Yeah. And I was like, this guy's a good interviewer. And maybe then I found his podcast and cherry picked certain podcasts where they were going to be discussing things that were up my alley, which is still what I do to this day. But it's less and less. Yeah. Right. Less and less that you actually listen to. It. To his podcast, yes. But he's on yeah. most rewatchables. And he right. he pops up elsewhere and like that like he he seems to like movies as much as sports if not more but there's is he kind of insufferable on the rewatchables no he's great I can't I honestly oh, I almost can't listen to the podcast with uh if he's not there because wow. the other people don't know how to do it well I find Sean Fennessy's pretty good but the rest of them are just kind of, they kind of don't know how to do the categories and I'm very protective of the categories I always see people complaining about. Um bill's takes oh yeah he does have some some hot takes for sure i think he just likes to be contrary he does for sure that's the skill of a good writer mgm is gonna buy uh no amazon is gonna buy mgm for 8.45 billion dollars it's not a small amount of money but everything's gonna be on amazon a lot of teaming up here yeah i think peacock like i think nbc needs to go like we're we're just gonna be on on netflix yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. NBC. Get all of that. <laughs> I, not Pop, NBC, Peacock. Like, yeah, well, but that's NBC. I know, but I just find like, stop stop it. Just team up, like give give NBC a huge payday. Mm. NBC, continue doing your broadcast stuff. Because there's some good stuff on Peacock, but I'm not going to sign up. Like, No, no. They're going to have to have a crazy, crazy rush of content for me to drop one thing and pick up peacock well now i have the big four because i've got netflix and prime i've got disney plus which includes some hulu content and i've got crave which includes some hbo content i'm not yeah, i'm what... just not getting a fifth one it's never gonna happen that's all you need yeah and you're probably paying like what, what is like 80 bucks yes but i'm paying more than that because i haven't cut the friggin cord yet the jeopardy toc yeah. is still happening and SNL is done now, thank goodness. Uh, and This Is Us is done now, thank goodness. So I can just like I caught up on the last two SNLs. Pretty good, pretty good finish. I, I hadn't, I, I hadn't seen uh, 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 Keegan Michael Key. Keegan Michael Key. He was year. good. Yeah, he was good. He, he was, was really great. good. Yeah, that I was. I loved, I loved because I just watched last dance for the third time i love the last dance digital shorts yes that they did. i loved the <laughs> muppet sketch where they beat up stadler oh. and waldorf that was hilarious it, it just seemed like he had these ideas in his head for quite some time he, like, he must have he must have come with with a, like 20 ideas the writers must, have, must loved have been that. so easy to work with yes like, exactly the writers must have loved that like here's a real professional who turned up to play ball and then anyone to sing i was surprised he didn't do like a weekend update character Anya Taylor-Joy was pretty good, but they didn't make the show about Anya Taylor-Joy. Like, I think you and I no. had talked about, like, maybe there'd be a Queen's Gambit sketch. They didn't do that. But she she was good. Like, she she was very comfortable, and, and the characters were funny. Yeah. I love the uh, the Women of Ireland sketch. Yes. <laughs> so it was, like, was incredibly clear to everyone right away, this is for sure Cecily's swan song. And... Mm -hmm. Kate McKinnon is like noticeably very emotional and there were some rumblings that people at dress were noticing her being very emotional as well. Right. But I had mentioned to you that it just seems to me that given she's the most celebrated cast member of her class, mm -hmm. why wouldn't 
there be a, a proper Kate send off when they actually did did give Cecily stage time and they they let she was she was probably just sad about losing multiple cast members. Maybe it was that. Maybe yeah. You know, except for that, like, isn't it time for her to go too? It is. We said this like two years ago, I think. Yeah, and you're right. Pete made a weird comment in Weekend Update about how it's been like an honor to grow up in front of everyone. Like that really yeah. felt like a goodbye, but it wasn't clear. Maybe these people were just like setting themselves up for like. Uh, we don't know yet if it's my last. Mm-hmm. Maybe I haven't made up yeah. my mind yet. Yeah, watched. It. Yeah, it definitely seemed like a send off when when uh, Jane Perot was it did the I did yeah. it my way thing. Janine Perot and like yeah. yeah that that was like perfect really good. final episode material. I'm when sure she, that was her last. When episode. she got all the way down in the wine, like I was yeah. like, are you going to go for it? And she did. She completely yeah. submerged herself in the wine. I she she's on a couple episodes of uh, that damn Michael Che. Yes, pretty funny. I, I'd like to check that out. I definitely would. I yeah, I had I suggested that that she should be cast in Knives Out too. She has not been yet, but they have fleshed out some right. of the cast a little bit more. So we talked about how Dave Bautista is going to be in it. Catherine Hahn, Edward Norton, Janelle Monae. Since our last podcast, they've also added Kate Hudson and Leslie Odom Jr. So it's a good cast. Interesting. Um, Edward Norton is a great fit for that yeah. movie, I think. I think so too. Fantastic. Really good in Moonrise Kingdom for what it's worth. Very good. Very good. Very, very good. I wonder if he'll be in like another Wes Anderson movie. Kevin Spacey, we don't have to talk about this very long, but Kevin Spacey is going to make his acting comeback. He's a, he's opposite Vanessa Redgrave in this movie where he plays a lawyer who defends people who've been wrongly accused of pedophilia. Like it just feels like stunt casting. It feels like, yeah, like they're trying I to get it. Like, they're allowing him to do it. Well, that's why I don't want to talk about it for too long. Cause like, that's yeah. exactly what they want. That's what they're trying to get from us. Timothy Chalamet is indeed going to play a young Willy Wonka. We heard about this like two months ago and talked about the rumors and now it's confirmed. He's going to be in Wonka. Yeah. And I said, I wish it was the kid from Minari. Why? <laughs> why? I just thought it'd be funny. I... <laughs> like, go super, go incredibly young. So young. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see the video of him winning like a best kid performance award in the pre-Oscar season? No. It's the cutest thing. He like he, he was on Zoom obviously and so he won an award at like the Sags or something for like best kid performance. And he's such a sweet little gentleman and then just out of nowhere he was like being very gracious and then out of nowhere he just started to cry. Uh cuz he was overwhelmed and then he started pinching himself like in the movie. Yeah. So like, is this yeah. real? But then he's like, he, like, like an... it's a thing from the movie too. It's a really sweet kid. Did you see Minari yet? Yeah, yeah. The only Oscar Are movie like I, I didn't see in the end is The Father, which I didn't think I had to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll watch The Father at some point. Yeah, I probably should. It just seems like you need the right mood for it. Yeah. I, I started watching Miracle last night. It was just a sports movie that I've never seen. So I was like, oh yeah. Let's, let's Costner? Start. Kevin Anyways. Costner? That one? Uh, Kurt Russell. Oh, is there a hockey movie? It's hockey, right? Yeah. Is there a uh, Kevin Costner hockey movie? I don't care. doesn't matter. I don't think so. Okay. So Cruella is actually getting okay reviews, which I think is surprising. They are, there is likely to be some artificially contrived outrage over her lack of smoking cigarettes in this movie. Like that's likely to be a, oh, look at woke culture. They won't let her smoke her, her long plastic stick. Um, she's just chewing tobacco in this one. Yeah, she's just it's the movie sponsored by Nicorette, I think. <laughs> she's dipping. And then 
I, I don't know. I assume you heard about this, although I don't think it's like made the big time, but this is the most supreme bummer news I've heard all week. Uh, Kevin Clark, who was the drummer from School of Rock, died yesterday. Yeah. He was biking in Chicago and he got hit by a car. He's 32, yeah. which, by the way, is how old Jack oh Black was when he made School of Rock, which is mind crushing that they're the age of Dewey Finn now. Ooh, yeah. How old I'm going to be in like two months. Yeah. <laughs> you don't look oh, the same man. as, as Dewey yeah. Finn. You look a little different. Now I'm going to shave my beard completely. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Jen texted me today and she was like, man, that like that badass drummer from School of Rock died. Because we watched School of Rock probably like two months ago. And I was like, no, I love that little psycho. School of I bet I've seen School of Rock more than 30 times. I went like when I was a, when that movie came out, I watched that movie on repeat. I adore that movie. Yeah, I was a big fan of that movie too. I, I watched it a lot in junior high. Um It's so singular. It's like there's nothing else you know like it. Frankie the bouncer kid and And Marta. Blonde, oh yeah. Yeah, they're they're an item. That's a great love story. I was hoping that would be the only School of Rock news of the month. <laughs> yeah. Are they just recently an item or have they been an item for quite some time? I mean, they've known each other all their lives, but I, it's just come out now that they're quite an adorable couple, actually. He's gotten quite handsome. So they're very lovely looking. Yeah, I, I, I love that they're, even if they're just making a meal out of it, that's the type of content that I want to see. I saw a lot of drummers sharing really nice like tweets and TikToks today, uh, like talking about how like School of Rock like genuinely inspired them to become drummers. And so Whoa. I think that's really nice. Oh man. Well, do you yeah, want to talk about bad. shows? We're we're running long here. We had so much to say. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first? You, why don't you go first and take your pick? No, I want you to go first and take your pick because I I feel like if I take more time to think about the show that I'll have to recap. Okay. I'll do better. Okay. Well, I'm gonna recap. Uh, I guess I'll recap the first episode of Home Economics. So do you have me? I do. I'll just put myself in the clock. I've got the time. I've got the timer. Oh, you time. do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then. Okay. Uh, so this is. Start. Yeah. Topher Grace's new show. I'm, I don't know everyone's name, but just bear with me. Sure. So Sweets is going to recap home economics in three, two, one. Tover Grace is a struggling novelist. He's writing his new book about his uh, family, in particular him and his brother and sister, who are in very different economic situations. Uh, he's struggling to make more money as a writer. His brother made a bunch of money in finance, and he's like living in Matt Damon's old house now and is incredibly wealthy and is going to fly his parents to Turks and Caicos for Thanksgiving. Uh, his sister also just got uh, laid off, and so they come together for a family reunion, and they kind of butt heads over how uh, money is uh, drawing divisions between them, but ultimately they love each other yeah did i miss any main story factors in there um did you mention that topher grace is actually writing a book about their family yes okay and that um we learn at the end that his family is he, he kind of like hints that they're going to disown him for it well so like i, I wonder to speak to him again i wondered about that like are we are we to expect that this is going to become like the big linchpin of the drama of the show that they're going to find out that his new book is about them and then there's going to be this big blowout? Cause that seems like very low stakes to me for a story. Yeah. First of all, I mean, every writer in the world is writing a book about their siblings. What are you fucking talking about? Like it's, that's it's the worst version of how I met your mother ever. 
Yeah, it doesn't that it like I I couldn't tell if that was just like a joke about because you're right. There's there is in the epilogue. They're like, by the way, Uncle Tom, like, what are you writing about? And he's like, oh, I don't know yet. And then in the narration, which, by the way, doesn't exactly paint him as the next Hemingway or anything. Some of the writing in the voiceover. Um, yeah, you're right. He kind of hints that like they're really going to be hurt by this. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just a warm and fuzzy story. Who cares? Yeah. I um there were some funny parts. Was was pumped that like Sashir Zameda yep. and Tover Grace were in it. I, I didn't I I don't see it being a show that like like based on the first episode, I do not see it being a show that I can follow at all. No, and it's funny you you say that in particular about the first episode because I had a bit of a revelation which I think I'd like to monitor going forward. I think that we are hitting a point in network TV where you will not be afforded the opportunity to get better with time. I think your show has to be really good immediately. In fact, maybe your best episode needs to be your pilot. I think that was true with This Is Us, which is the best example of like a high quality network show that for some reason lasted way beyond all the other shows. The pilot of This Is Us is phenomenal and there's a great twist yep. in it. This goes back a little ways, but I think Modern Family also has an amazing pilot and you watch that pilot and you're like, this show is built to last. And yep. there's a pedigree in home economics. It doesn't look too cookie cutter. They have a really good cast. The sets are nice, but there's just something that feels so cancelable about this show yeah yeah and cancelable in a way that just like shows get canceled exactly yeah it, right it just yeah. kind of feels like it's it's not that it doesn't have a singular self it's not a dime a dozen but it just feels like a show that that will get lost by the wayside no there were there were some some things that should work but like if they didn't really make it work like you can't that's the thing. If it rolls directly into another episode, like you're saying, then yeah, you can, you can if you're going to put all 10 episodes out on Netflix right away, you can be afforded that kind of luxury. But like this show needs to be amazing if it's going to be on network TV, not even Peacock. Like why? Well, like what channel is this on? It's CBS. I don't know. Is it on Peacock? That's nuts. I don't think it is. I think it's just on. This te- isn't on Peacock. I think it's on television. Well, think about the, the Peacock shows, which are, objectively good yeah that we need to go out and like find like i would record those shows on tv like why are they not being broadcast on but but listen to what ap violet listen to what you're saying about the the 10 episode model isn't it interesting in a world where we perceive the best we perceive netflix and these big streamers the big four as like where you can find the highest quality content that it's it's kind of this strange paradox that also they're afforded an opportunity to be much worse on netflix you can get away with having a show that's yeah. not as good on netflix even though that's apparently where the good stuff is and that's where people go on ne- on network tv you go to die unless you've created something truly special you're so right and you i think that the kicker is you just get paid more yeah and like i think i think the networks still have all the money whereas that ne- Netflix says, okay, we'll pay you this and then we own it and yada, yada, yada. So there's, you know, maybe advantages to doing it the other way, but it depends. I, I mean, think, they, I think the move is to go for Netflix. Yes. I think there's money to be made at Netflix for sure. Like uh, Dave Chappelle's an extreme example, but it's not like they, they are 
they're floundering over there. They can make it work. Yeah, 100%. I'll never forget this so, this story I heard about uh, Topher Grace. This has always stuck with me. I remember watching, remember E! True Hollywood Story? I watched an yeah. E! True Hollywood Story about the making of that 70s show. And something that stuck with me is that they kind of like depicted Topher Grace as sort of an outcast. Like yes. Yeah. You, so you remember this. So he was, he was kind of like, he was kind of an outcast of the rest of the group. He didn't socially jive with everyone else on the show. And I remember thinking that was kind of interesting. And going forward, I have never seen any other evidence that he's a difficult or antisocial person. Never once. And no, actually, that's so weird. And actually, as much as I love that '70s show, if not wanting to be friends with Danny Masterson and Laura Prepon is not a deal breaker. It's that's not a sign that you're a difficult person. In fact, no. I like Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis too. But them too. Do you remember what a douchebag Ashton Kutcher was in in two thousand two? Like, <laughs> yeah. He, Topher, yeah, Topher Grace is probably just like, yeah, I think these are not my people. One hundred percent. Like everything that Topher Grace has done lends itself to knowing that he probably isn't going to jive with all of these other people. Right. Like he was like a big. Didn't he have like a big comic book thing? Like I know he's in Spider Man. But didn't he also have? Oh, he had a Star Wars cut. Yes, he he famously made the the Phantom edit. Yeah. Yes. So like, I get it. Yeah. And I love that he maybe he incorporated the Star Wars love into his character on that seventy show, which Prob- is also probably awesome. yes. Oh, that's like, like one of the great sitcoms. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually like it ages pretty well. Um, but yeah. No, I was thinking about that today. While I was putting away dishes for my dishwasher, I started thinking about why Topher Grace didn't get along with the cast of That 70s Show. And I don't know if it was like a disdain. I don't know if it was like, I think it was just like, like, I don't know. Like, they're people I work with, but I don't necessarily, like, the people you work with. Yeah. Do you, like, hang out all the time? Are you best friends with everyone at work? No. Because no one is. That's so funny that we both remember this one. I'm pretty sure it's not like there was beef. They just <laughs> they just weren't friends, and that's fine. And it's not a big story. I don't no. think that many people know about this. <laughs> I think maybe we both watched the Each Hollywood story. Yeah. I thought for great. It really left its mark on us. I also thought about how interesting it is that uh, Jimmy Tatro, who plays his rich brother, I watched him credibly play a high schooler in American Vandal two years ago. Yes. And I watched yes. Topher Grace credibly play a high schooler 20 years ago and yeah. I they are 14 years apart in age and somehow I still buy them as brothers even though they look nothing alike but they just decided to cast people who are funny and and the show is not amazing you're right but the cast is really good and I I still really advise everyone to go back and watch that first season of American Vandal it's very beautiful and touching based on based on the actors you almost want to give it your ass I don't give it my ass but like, I think that there's a lot of room for improvement there that they can make up for. What I didn't understand about the rich brother is, is he dumb or smart? Because they're they're going back and forth on this a lot. Like when the when the kids are playing Monopoly, he like knows how to win Monopoly for sure. Because he's, I guess, like a finance savant or something. But then he finds it really hard to read Tover Grace's book. And he says a lot of dumb, he seems like a dumb jock. His, his, his passion is clearly money. And I think we all know people like that who's like, they they are able to concentrate when it comes to how they can 
level up yes. in the field of money, but it's not necessarily by like reading books or being eloquent. It's just, they want to get ahead. And then the sister I was disappointed by, I thought that she was kind of just a caricature of wokeness. Yeah. Um, Although I loved when the kids ran into the, the room and they, they asked about the doll's pronouns. Yeah. You got to see my, my dolls. Um, cool what are their pronouns which is which is funny but also it's kind of like trivializing a real thing you know that's true we're kind of just like suggesting that this is a fleeting goofy thing that young people talk like now and it and it's not that yeah you're right but it was it was a yeah, funny I, joke objectively yes yeah yeah i i thought i spent the first 20 seconds of the show thinking that um the wife of Topher grace was allison williams Oh, really? Yeah, like straight. I was like, wow. I thought. Allison Williams is in the show. It's similarly, crazy. I thought the sister was Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And I was like, this freaking cast is unbelievable. And it's not her, but she looks exactly like her. And what's she from? Because she did look familiar to me. She, I don't know who this actress is. I don't, but Mary Elizabeth Winstead, to us, is Ramona Flowers and Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And, and many other things. She's like a oh, good yeah, actor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. She was in that Cloverfield movie. At one point, she says that uh, Matt Damon hasn't made a good movie since we bought a zoo. And so I checked on this to verify. <clears throat> uh, he made Ford versus Ferrari, which is good. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, which is very good. I think that's kind of the joke. That <clears throat> of course, of course like it is. Of course it is. But I wanted to go through this. Ford versus Ferrari, yeah. Thor Ragnarok, The Martian. The Martian, yeah. Uh, and Interstellar. Uh and maybe right. maybe Jason Bourne, which I didn't see, but I don't remember people having any issues with. And so definitely he's made lots of good movies since we bought a zoo. I watched Interstellar within the last two months, and it's so funny that like I remember watching going like, I'm pretty sure Matt Damon is this guy that they're trying to save from this world that goes crazy. Have you ever seen the person who did the calculation of how much the US government has spent rescuing Matt Damon in movies? <laughs> no, but Be that's a great great between yeah between interstellar and saving private ryan and the martian he's constantly martian. being rescued very yeah, very expensively he's, he's a line item in the, the budget every year okay uh i don't give it my s either but i didn't think it was terrible and i would like to see it have a bit of a life if it could sustain i just don't see that happening Bit too cheesy for the the character building that they had to do, unfortunately. You're going to recap the first episode of uh, Girls Five Eva, which I really thought was like the prestige show release of the month, and maybe that yeah. we could have done it like a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and it just kind of passed us by. I'm curious to know what you think of the show. Uh, recap that in three, two, one, go. Girls Five Eva was a band a la the Spice Girls in the late '90s, early 2000s, and they ended up only having one album. The second album dropped on September 10th and did not become a success <laughs> in 2000. Uh, uh, Little Stinky ends up doing a remix and has them come on uh, to the Fallon show. They kind of do a good job and then little stinky doesn't want to tour with them because they're old uh but they say whatever we want to do it anyway that's it right while they're all like super washed up um different versions of washed up right like well yeah one's one's actually like a physician yes <laughs> uh paula pell plays the physician she's a dentist i think <laughs> is she a dentist i think she's a dentist yeah okay um hilarious term for her like 
someone <laughs> someone who aged like like 50 years in uh in the time span of like 20 years and she says that at one point she's like geez how am i the youngest like looking yeah, at yeah. these other women um right and and, and um, <clears throat> their their friend comes and goes you're martina and she's like yes you recognize me she's like i used context clues <laughs> <laughs> And there's like this whole other thing about uh, what's her name from Hamilton is like kind of the most difficult one who sort of was the catalyst for the breakup of the band because she had an ego and almost right. ultimately she has to come to realize that no, she needs them and they need each other. Um, and so she and Sarah Borelli's kind of have uh, a warm moment towards the end. I thought Sarah Borelli's was very good. I actually thought she was, she was the only she was really good. I thought she was like the only uh convincingly good person in the show actually i thought paula pell was funny but we've kind of seen that before and hamilton lady and busy phillips were way too much for me and i thought busy phillips was making like a a good consistent choice i thought yeah, that was funny i guess so i thought i thought sarah Pirellis was incredibly convincing and and grounded i mean i guess she's playing liz yes. lemon right that's that's kind of what's happening here she really is and I think she's got such a background. Like she wrote a movie called uh, Waitress, a musical called Waitress yeah. that she won like Tony Award for. I didn't realize how active she still was. And I said after the movie, I was like, Sarah Bareilles. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that's a singer. And and Jen was like, I don't know about that. And we, oh, you yeah. obviously knew all along. Like you knew who Sarah Bareilles <laughs> of was. Of course. I, yes. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I've played the song Brave on the radio. It's insane. Oh, Brave is Sarah Bareilles? Yes, that's her big song. And her other one well, is and, love, and song. love Song. Yes. Right. Oh, I, see, I always think of Brave being by Serena Ryder. But it's oh, no, she'll dine on Brave for the rest of her life. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, I got I to gotta tell Jen about that, too. Yeah. So, and I, so I knew the name Sarah Bareilles, and I was like, I know that she's a singer. I've heard this on the radio so many times. Did a deep dive, and we were like, oh, my God. So she's an actual singer. She was really good at it. Oh, yeah. I, I thought she was like, yeah, one of the one of the best parts of the show. I thought she was clearly by far and away the best part of the show. And she was like the grounded one. And I think that's fine. I don't know how. Great first scene too with the, the mammogram. And, like, and I'm pinned like a wrestler. <laughs> I don't know like how heavily involved Tina Fey was in like the development of this show. I think maybe while she like might be one of the great comedy influences of our time, this is going to be a hot take from me. I think maybe I'm not a Tina Fey fan. And and it's it's not personal. I like Tina Fey. I liked her book. Obviously, I like Mean Girls. But I never cared for 30 Rock as much as I liked the other NBC sitcoms of its generation. That's interesting. Um, it's a clear third behind The Office and Parks and Rec for me. I got I over... Mean, that, that's kind of fair. I think so. Uh I uh, I got over Kimmy Schmidt real fast. I never watched Good News. I think Mr. Mayer's not that great. Like I I I kind of think there's a lot of cheap shots in in Tina Fey stuff. Like there's a there's Fair a enough. there's a Trump joke in here where like Larry the manager is like 35 and the the clock is run out on you. That's a quote from our greatest president or something. And it was like right. this. I'm so not here for a Trump joke in the yeah. year of our Lord 2021. Fair, Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I I did think thirty five is checkout time. Is the thirty five is checkout time? Is the wonderful, uh, elegant thing that forty five said. 
Bruh, I uh, I laughed multiple times, and, and I think it was mainly because of the cutaways, which some people find like kind of cheap, but like quick cutaways to songs and like Busy Phillips only being able to end the song. I yes. thought that was so funny. Like, what are we gonna do about Kosovo, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The the cutaways to the songs are the best part, and that's why I don't know if you watched the clips from the upcoming season on girls five eva at the end there's like a yeah there's like a package of like what you can expect that was my favorite part like all of the stuff they're teasing looks really good like they've got stephen colbert in a weird outfit tina fey plays yeah. dolly parton which looks kind of funny i thought that was tina fey i wasn't positive but... definitely was tina fey my favorite line yeah. it, they're talking about whether or not they're going to be able to get a hold of uh the girl who left the band <laughs> and i think it's busy phillips who says uh, have you seen her Instagram? She only follows Michelle Obama and Swarovski. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And I also loved when Billy Busy Phillips said, well, what is she going to do about the deceased member who had a bench? Right. Or if you're like, <laughs> she tried that and she is a bench now. <laughs> Did they say, by the way, how she died? Did I miss that? I No, I don't know if they actually did say how she died. Right. If they did, I, I kind of missed it. That's a very Tina Fey joke. That whole yeah. structure of like the, the darkness of one of them being dead now. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them being like 60. <laughs> right. That's true Maybe too. 65. It's funny to me, while I found the manager to be an incredible cliche, it's funny to me that his company is called Plum Management and Junk Removal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he does both now because things are drying up. And I love how they said they met in a manager's office in New Jersey. Yeah. This is a nitpick, but I, I can't help but notice that like COVID is not happening in the world of the show, but Jimmy Fallon is in his COVID studio. And like, is he? yeah, like he had a different studio during the pandemic and now he's back in his regular studio. And so like they clearly filmed this during COVID and he's not, he doesn't do any acting. Like it's, it's weird that they even bothered to put him in it, frankly, but like right. he, he, brings the band on and they do their song but there's no like dialogue with jimmy i guess because of the pandemic actually on the this note this would be a fun thing to introduce to new shows now because uh home economics did acknowledge the pandemic did they they did okay. they said something about like oh we're finally allowed to get back together or like it's been like eight months since we've actually like it was something pandemic related that was like distinctly pandemic well related. and there's the whole like we've been apart for a while there's the whole thing about their parents being on zoom through the whole episode i guess that's the yeah. obvious one yeah right i don't know i think um, i think that if that's true if you're right about that and they did that deliberately then they did it quite elegantly because you can very easily go too far with it and this is us super did this season like every so so did Grey's Anatomy like Jen was harping on how yeah. Grey's Anatomy everything is like oh my god we're like like someone's in a coma because they have COVID <laughs> like, I mean at least it's a hospital show like this is us it, clearly yeah. it, it just finished two nights ago it was by far its worst season ever and I don't it, and it was the final season no there's one more season I think they'll probably get their mojo back a little bit but like they have this totally perverse obsession with dropping hot off the press references to popular culture. And it's super sure. obnoxious. Like the other night they made a nomad land like joke. Order. They made a nomad land joke. And 
what what was the joke? It was just a joke about how the the uncle is too curmudgeonly to watch Nomadland, and like it, it's constantly stuff like that that do, certainly do not elevate the show at all. No. And so I'm I'm here now for the long haul, but like you got to get something back because I really rode for this show, you know, as like a sensitive, loving person. I gotta be honest with you. I do not give girls five ever my, my S and I'm really surprised to say that. I really thought that I was going to love it. I was a little disappointed by it. Big move. Big move. I don't know if Jen would have either. I, I'll give it my S. I think like my reactions were just, uh, I was enjoying it. I knew that at the end of it, I clearly was the one who liked it more. Um, but I would watch more of it. I think tonally it was just kind of right. cheap. You kind of nailed it with the Kimmy Schmidt thing because I also said that after the first episode of Kimmy Schmidt. Watched the first season. I think I watched the second season. And then I was kind of like, why am I still watching this? Like, Well, it's not, feel like, it's not like I don't like cartoons, but there are far too many ensemble people in Tina Fey, Robert Carlock shows who are just not real people at all. There's just nothing real about these people. And I think it's part of it like it seems like there's a goal with these shows. Yeah. Which is unfortunate with comedies because they're like with like, you know, your friends and your Seinfelds, there's no end game. No. Just them every week. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the show should be, but you kind of feel like you need to like, what are they doing? They're not doing anything, which is fine. If you set that expectation from the beginning, that's very astute. And it's definitely the fatal flaw of Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. Because like she's just reassimilating and then there's a trial. And then where do you go? Right. I don't know. I never right. found out. It, I know. It's almost like if she lived with like a different family every year, was in like witness protection, like with different people. Like that would I don't know. It's just different. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Kaplan Corner, there's nothing to say about her except for that if you Google her right now, because Friends is so in the the stratosphere. It comes up yeah. that she dated Matthew Perry for six years. Oh, another friend's note in uh, in Miracle. There was a guy that I recognized the whole time, and Jen was like, "Oh, he was in Friends." And that I doesn't said, narrow it down very much. I said, "Right, that is Tag." Oh, Tag from Friends. Tag Jones tag from Friends. Yeah, yeah. the sexy the assistant. Two thousand four, so it was around the same time. He's also in an episode of Dawson's Creek. He was he definitely had a moment. Yeah. I wonder what he's doing now. Actually, I think he's on like an SVU style show or like Good. a law and order. That's style the show. place to be. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah, he'll turn up gone. in the in the Friends Reunion, which I haven't seen, and everybody listening to this podcast will have seen by now. But like there's I assume cameos from your Janices and your Gunthers, but also they're cluttering it up with people like Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber. And like I get that you're just trying to make it into a big spectacle, but you are giving me nothing by showing me that Lady Gaga likes friends. That's not an interesting opinion of hers. And I don't need her there to make this experience more special. And to be fair, no one is wondering about Gunther. I am. I'm kind of curious to hear what they think. I'd I'd way rather hear what Gunther and Janice have to say about the experience than whether or not Justin Bieber likes to kick back and watch the Thanksgiving episodes. Right. That's the thing that he does? No, I was a hypothetical, but I mean, don't uh, we all? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Okay. Uh, Should I be wearing any more clothes? Willow Smith discussed her tattoos on the red table this week. She admitted that when she first started to get tattoos, she was most concerned that her dad would have an issue with them. And she was quite relieved that he was very supportive of her tattoos and said some shit about the divine order and the choices she makes with her body being her own path. <laughs> the divine order. The divine order. order. Just, he said that shit. I just want him I just want to be like, man, I was I was crazy. Yeah. Exactly. When I found out that my young daughter got tattoos. Because I'm a dad. They do talk weird in that family. And dad was like, this is the divine order for you to make choices that are yours. And it's like, what do you mean? He likes your tattoos. I think is what you're trying to say. He was cool with you having tattoos. Yeah. This is such a staggering announcement. I know. All right, well, never trust the divine order. No, I have never trusted the divine order. That's been my fatal error. We're going to start calling this the divine order. <laughs> the divine order with Sweets and Slaney is a wrap for another week. We're not going to get the right audience if we change our podcast name. After 200, we'll become the divine order. <laughs> 193. <laughs> Can you imagine if you're looking for spiritual podcasts and you look up the divine order? And then it's just, it's two guys talking shit about SNL. For some reason, we're number one new and noteworthy for like religious podcasts. Uh, your youth group homework assignment is to listen to the first two episodes of The Divine Order with Sweets and I'm, Slaney. I'm pretty sure they didn't get it, get to it until minute 96. And no. it was mentioned very briefly in passing in relation to Will Smith and Will Smith. <laughs> But you know what? I felt closer to the Lord after that, so... That's all that matters. <laughs> Five stars, favorite new show. <laughs> and all the kids, all the, the youth group kids just have tattoos because Will Smith said it's okay. <laughs> I actually thought what they were saying about Topher Grace was pretty astute. I think we were astute tonight. I think we nailed it. I'm glad to be back. You're on it. We're back, baby. Never trust Will Smith. And his divine order. <laughs>